And as they're headed that direction, um, let me encourage you to open your Bible if you brought one with you or it's on some sort of device to Ephesians 2. And um, if you didn't get a brick when you came in, you're going to need one of those in a little bit. So uh, they're back there on the, little, uh, on the little table. You can grab one. So people keep asking, so when are we celebrating the anniversary? Is it this week or next week? Or the ne- it's the next three weeks. So this week and then the next two. And you know how you have some of those uh, anniversaries, maybe as uh, married couples, where it's like, you know, you're four or you're 14 and you're like Googling, what are you supposed to get on your 14th anniversary? I don't know. Something, you know, made out of wood or whatever. How, whoever, whoever came up with that. And, uh, and you celebrate, you know, by... Uh, you know, if you're lucky, you celebrate by going to a nice restaurant. Um, if you're busy and your kids are playing soccer that night, you know, you grab some Sonic. Well, whatever it is. But sometimes on the big ones, on the big anniversaries, um, you take a trip to Hawaii or something like that, which would be nice. And so on our 10-year, that's what we decided to do, that we were going to, well, we had this plan to like cram everything into a weekend and we were going to do something Friday and something Saturday and it was going to involve some fun and um, some prizes and some cornhole and, uh, you know, food trucks and all the things, but COVID kind of messed all that up. So um, just the next, uh, this Sunday and the next two, we're going to celebrate our anniversary and uh, really focus around um, kind of our core DNA of what God has called us to be and uh, really listen for his voice for the next 10 And that's what we're calling this. We're going to look back on the previous 10, and we're going to look forward on the next 10. Now, some of you haven't been with us for this entire journey. Some of you even knew what a great time to come and kind of join in and hear from God on what, um, as you pray and seek his face, what he has for you in the next 10. Part of this is just uh, so encouraging to me, and I want to encourage you to think through, all right, what has God done in my life over the past 10 years? And as you look back, you can think of just God's faithfulness just showing up again and again. It probably wasn't the plan that you had for your life. It certainly hasn't probably been all comfortable and easy. And yet as you look back, you can see the fingerprints of God on every move. His faithfulness, his nearness has been with you. And that is something that we should celebrate, that God keeps his promises And as we look back on the past 10 and we look forward to the next 10, we can be assured, even when we walk through the dark night of the soul, as the famous preacher would use that phrase, we can be assured that God is going to be with us. So for those of you who haven't been with us uh, the whole time, just give you a brief synopsis on our story as a church, and then we're going to dive into Ephesians 2. About 11 years ago, um, we started thinking about this idea of, uh, of planting a church, and God had stirred this in my heart and the heart of several others. And so we moved here to start Covenant, and we had no idea what we were doing. It's kind of like reading a book about driving and then actually driving. Those are two different things. Reading a book about driving a uh, manual shift vehicle, do they still make those? And then actually doing it, that's something that is far different. It's a good idea to know where the clutch is and where the gears are, but it's something else to actually get in there and do it and learn. And so that's what we did. We jumped in. We had read all the books and studied all the things, and uh, we came in, again, had no idea exactly what we were doing, but God was so faithful to us. We hit the ground running. We made tons of mistakes, and God has evolved and grown us as leaders, as people um, along the way. 
Our DNA has kind of always been the same and the very reason we came here. We wanted to do life and ministry together as a family. Our vision wouldn't, wasn't that just we would just come to church, but that we would actually take on the identity of God's missionary people, his sent people. We would be the church. We would fight together to advance God's kingdom. We would pray and laugh and cry with each other. Most of us were coming here from typical kind of large Protestant churches. And as we got here, we would... Uh, we left kind of the form of uh, what we came from, and we just started getting in Scripture. What does Scripture say the church is supposed to be? It's supposed to be a family. It's supposed to be a team. We wanted to make disciples. Again, not just religious people who do the right thing because they're supposed to, but people who are changed from the inside by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they begin to look more and more like Jesus every day. The Scripture that... Jason alluded to earlier as they would see those disciples and they would say of them they could tell that they had been with Jesus not that they hung out at a certain place on a Sunday morning but they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God that's what Jesus did he made disciples we use the words all the time around here of invitation and challenge of inviting people in to do life with us and then challenging them with the truth of God's word we wanted everyone to understand their missional calling. Everyone to understand that God has a special plan to utilize their spiritual gifts and extend God's kingdom. God has equipped you to be light and salt and then sent you into darkness to do just that. Again, these aren't things we're just pulling out of thin air. As you read the early church, as you read the letters that Paul wrote to these early churches, you see these themes kind of come up. We had our first meeting uh, in May of, uh, of 2010, and we met in a warehouse, and it was a gazillion degrees in there. We tried to do barbecue. Only two or three probably are in this room that were in that early meeting. I told you we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't rent out anything. We didn't have any money. We just got together and just sweat. It was just crazy and tried to cast vision over these big fans that were in there. But I look back on that and this certain nostalgia about it that God was forming us into something. We started our first meeting on Sunday nights and uh, we had several dozen people there and we cast vision of what this could look like and our group kept growing. And I look back from uh, the, the notes that I took. I, I I uh, transcript everything that I preach, uh, believe it or not. Write it out word for word, study it, think through it. And so I go back and I have those notes. I said, we're going to ask you to give more than you've ever given and serve more sacrificially than you've ever served. And as a matter of fact, we're going to be a rescue ship and not a cruise ship. And that's where this kind of mentality came of rescue ship. Jesus said that I came to seek and save the last, the lost, and the least and then he told us, and I am sending you just as I have been sent. And so that's what we're to be as a church, a rescue ship. And after that spill, I, I knew that people were going to leave, and some did, but we, we kept growing. We launched about a month or two later. God kept bringing people to the team. We knew that if this thing was going to work, it would require a lot of money and a lot of man hours and serving and blood, sweat, and tears. I mean that literally, if you've been with us very long, you have literally bled, uh, 
Cases have fallen on you. You've been bitten by kids. Um, literal, literal blood, right? And sweat. You've helped us unload the trailer in August. Um, in some of our locations, you've watched kids in rooms with no AC units. Um, it's just part of kind of how it, and then tears. You've cried with us. And we've cried with you if you've lost people who are dear to you, have been betrayed by friends, or walked through terminal diagnosis. And we've cried together. We've been the church together. 2013 was a really rough year for us as a church. Our church was cut in half. Some of you may have heard that story. We were just kind of up and to the right up until that point. And I was thinking, okay, God's going to do this. And we hit our record number at Christmas Eve, uh, 2012, and I was like, man, God, this is awesome. This is what I signed up for. And then shortly after the calendar turned, 2013 was here, and we lost half the church. Uh, Barksdale shut down the A-10 wing of, their, um, of the base there and sent them to Phoenix, and we lost a dozen families that way. And then natural gas dried up, and we lost another dozen families that way. And then when everyone else is leaving and jumping ship, they're like, well, I'm not watching all those kids by myself. And so then they left too, and we, we had to cut our salaries uh, by a drastic amount. We froze all spending. We had to move out of the place. We started at the BIC up here. It used to be the uh, old Bipsy right there next to Airline High School. And I remember just being so discouraged. And I, I went for a run, which you can tell I don't run a lot. So it's got to be something important, right? I had to get away from the kiddos and I just needed to be with God, and I was just so mad and so angry that he had let this happen, and I'm turning, the back turn of my little, my little neighborhood, there's this really big hill, and I'm out of shape, and I'm trying to run up this hill, and I'm upset with the Lord for what's happened, and I just said, God, this isn't fair. Our church is not even going to make it. My church is not going to make it, and as soon as it came out of my mouth, Lord said, your church, huh? And I just heard the question of the Spirit in my, in my heart. Luke, do you want to build my church or your church? Because if you want to build my church, you got to get out of the way, bro. It's not about you. It's not about your dreams. It's not about even your vision. This is about what I'm doing. I'm sure I looked a mess and... I'm sure the neighbors were, I uh, probably made the neighbor Facebook page at that point. I mean, it's not coming everywhere, and I was just having one of those good cries with the Lord. And I said, it's your church, Lord. It's your church. And I remind him of that all the time. When people are upset with me, when people are causing problems, like, Lord, it's your church. I mean, I'll go, I'll be, I'll go on behalf of you and try to counsel with them, but... But just remember, just remember, this is your church. We don't have enough money. Lord, this is your church. I just, just reminding you, this is your church. During that season, God led me to this passage in Ephesians 2. And it was so good for my own heart. And I want to share with you um, out of this passage this morning, the one that Emily uh, read earlier. He's talking about our oneness in Christ in this passage. Verse 18, for through him we've been, we have access to one spirit to the Father. 
19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, and him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Would you pray with me, Lord? I pray that your words and your holy scriptures as they're read aloud as in my feeble attempt to explain them, Holy Spirit, would you make them come alive in our own hearts and would you bring encouragement and conviction? Would you lead us to the truth? In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. In the next chapter, in Ephesians 3, Paul explains that the church is the manifold wisdom of God on display to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Meaning the church doesn't exist just for itself. It expresses the glory and the heart of God to the world. The church expresses the glory and heart of God to the world. It's people and it's life and it's culture The way we interact and deal with crisis and difficulty, it expresses the heart of Jesus to the watching world. Our culture is telling a story about the God that we serve. And Jesus is so committed to this vision of the church that he calls the church his body. The very heart of Jesus is expressed to the world through his bride, the church. And that means that the church at its best gives the world this tangible encounter of what it feels like to be loved by Jesus. And just as, we, just as I read that, I feel so convicted that I, we've done a pretty poor job. If through the church the world is supposed to experience or encounter what it feels like to be loved by Jesus... And we're over here debating about all these silly side issues when it's the very heart of Jesus and the love of Jesus that, and the power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, church, that we carry with us. We back up one chapter to chapter two where we're at today and Paul gives this idea some more teeth. He kind of fills it out a little more. And I normally don't like to preach sermons like this that are kind of literally jumping into the middle of a letter that Paul had wrote to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was this incredible secular city, one that Paul was almost killed in as, he, as a church was born and he was making disciples and these disciples as the church grew, quit buying these little idols, these little wooden false gods and worship to their false god Artemis and literally a riot has started and they're, they're coming after Paul and the believers there are trying to hide Paul. And he's like, no, let me, let me in there. I just want to tell him the truth of the gospel one more time. He starts the letter in chapter 1 of Ephesians by explaining the transforming love of God that has been poured out on us. In verse 18 of chapter 1, I don't think I have this up there. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and that is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us believe according to the working of his great might. This transforming love of God. Paul's just 
in this letter just say, man, church, I hope you know this, that God's love is incredible and it's transforming. And then it flips to chapter 2 and we see that we were once dead in our trespasses and sin. It calls us back to remember the life in which we'd come from. And knowing this and believing this and being filled with the Spirit produces a certain kind of people, a new humanity, a compelling people, not controlled by our own interests, but the interest of others, not slaves to sin, but, cons- but committed to righteousness and peace and joy. And it brings us to this passage today. As he kind of shifts in chapter 2, because you've been loved, because you've been filled with the Spirit, in verse 18, as we have access to one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to the Father, so then, he says in verse 19, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's where we get this idea of family. These words we use, we're family, we're a team, and we're a rescue ship. This idea of family. Members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure is being joined together. This idea of team. Being joined together. We all have a role to play. We all have a spot. We all have spiritual gifts. God has uniquely created us in a specific way so that he could use us to further the kingdom of God. We don't do that alone. We do that on a, on a team. That we would grow into a holy temple in the Lord. This is this idea of rescue ship. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He uses these three metaphors. We're not going to focus on all of them that we're fellow citizens. In other words, we're not second-class citizens. Many of these readers would have been Gentile and didn't feel like they really belonged. They were kind of just kind of, kind of connected, kind of not connected. And they were, Paul says, no, 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 you're fellow citizens. Then you're in the household of God. You're part of God's family and his unique design. This is not an accident. You didn't trick someone out of a birthright. With, like with Isaac and Eve. No, no, no. This is, this is something so much bigger. You're part of God's family. And then he says that you're, you're a building. Growing into the temple. This, this physical representation of Christ on earth. Remember the temple. The temple was a place where you would go to meet God. It was the physical representation of earth where, where, where heaven and earth met together. That was the temple. That's why Jesus got so upset when he went into the temple because he says, you, you've made it this, uh, this den of, 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 of robbers and thieves and you're exchanging all the money and all the things, a marketplace. No, 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 this is supposed to be where people are reminded that they have access to God. God wants them to know him. He wants to walk with his people. And here this is saying that we are this building The building is not a temple that we would go to in Jerusalem anymore. No, we, the church, become the temple of God. We're this building. Actually tells us a few things about this structure that we're being built into, that we're a building, we're a dwelling place, and we're a temple. A few things about the building, that it's it's a temple, it's it's a dwelling place. 
Notice too, it says here in verse 21 that in whom the whole structure is being joined together. And then verse 22, that we're being built together. Not individuals just doing our own thing, not even just a few of us together working to make a wall or just a two by four or ceiling joists have, have not much usefulness in themselves. Just, just one brick, right? There's not much you're going to do with one brick. It's just a brick lying in the yard. It's just, it's just one of these things. You, no one ever drives by and sees a bunch of raw materials on the ground. Maybe somebody's prepping to build a house. Nobody drives by that and sees those raw materials and be like, man, that's going to be a beautiful house. No, all you see is just pallets of material. Yet maybe you have driven by something and saw its finished product and it taken your breath away a little bit thinking, man, that's incredible. I used to embarrass Ashley all the time. She doesn't get embarrassed anymore. She just keeps kind of doing, doing her thing. I, I love taking pictures of beautiful, beautiful architecture and beautiful furniture. And so excuse me if you've invited me over to my house and I took a picture of your coffee table. Like things like that happen all the time. Uh, or, or we're in a restaurant and I see this beautiful table and I ask the server if I can look at it. And I actually lay on the floor and look underneath it to see how it's constructed. Uh, you look through my phone photos and there's just pictures of like random furniture and table and beautiful buildings and rafters and how they can. I just love it. I just, I just love beautiful architecture. But again, I've. I've never just walked through Home Depot and said, man, look at that two by four. That thing is going to be incredible one day. Can you even imagine? Or saw a pallet of bricks and said, man, what that's going to be. No, but these raw materials in the hands of a designer, of an architect, of one who, who knows the material can construct something so beautiful, so life-altering. It says here that we're being built together. When we exist in true community, we're being built together. We're, when that happens, we're a representation of Christ on earth. Not in a building, but our interconnected lives become the building. Worth far more together than we do apart and it's being fitted together I love that phrase it uses being being joined together being fitted together being built together friends God is using us for his purposes this is his church let me take it a little closer to home your family it's really his family your dreams your gifting your money your time your kids. That's why we have this dedication of our kids as this, this physical representation of God. These aren't our kids. These are your kids. We're being fit together. As we follow him and are filled with the Spirit, there are things about our life that he begins to change. And there's some things that he cuts off and some things he sands a little. No, no house is ever built without a saw. And no stones ever stacked without a chisel. We're being built together. It's this idea of interdependence. Interdependence defined as the dependence of two or more people or things on each other. 
Now, God could have created just a few Christian superstars, and they had all the gifts, and they had all the winsomeness, and they had all the authority and all the power, and they go out in their professional way and do everything themselves, but God never, he didn't create any. There are no Christian superstars. I mean, the name in and of itself is an oxymoron. There's no such thing. This is not his character, and we are made in his likeness. And so instead of doing that, he spread the spiritual gifts out among the people, like little bricks. And when we see them individually, they just look like a little brick. But when we begin to put them together, stacked upon each other, and there's a specific way if you talk to a mason, how you, how you build a building by stacking the bricks one on top of another. There's just interdependence. You can't build the wall and then just remove some bricks in the middle. It's going to adjust the structural integrity of the building. He says later on in the book, and uh, he talks about the unity, and then in chapter 5, chapter 4, he talks about this five, uh, this gifting, the fivefold ministry gifting in verse 11. And he gave to the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And you, if you're looking there, for the building up of the body of Christ. There's this idea of this building again. Until we all attain unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we're no longer tossed about to and fro, by waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who's the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part does its, uh, is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now here Paul's changed the metaphor a little bit. Now he's using this metaphor instead of a building, he's using a body. Some hands and some feet. There are really two types of churches that I'm familiar with in the, in the West. One is the Ephesians 4 church where each part is doing its work. Every part's working properly. This is interconnectedness and You've got the gift of spiritual gift of hospitality, but what, what good is that unless you combine that with someone who's got the, uh, a spiritual gift of leadership and a spiritual gift of teaching or a spiritual gift of evangelism? And when you put those things together, you begin to see the wall go up. You begin to see the temple being formed. The other type of church is the orphanage church where the church expects one or two hired pastors to do all the work of the ministry. Makes all the visits, preaches all the sermons, does all the administrative work. I grew up in a lot of these churches. The orphanage type church will have business meetings to discuss whether they're getting enough ministry out of the pastor that they hired to do all the ministry. And if he did well, he gets another year, maybe a bonus. If he didn't do well, they're going to fire him and try to find someone else who can do more ministry. Sadly, it's the most common form of church in America. It's patently unbiblical. But you look at these churches in China, across Asia, the one that we just saw earlier from some of our missionaries over there in Southeast Asia. Every, every part's got to work properly or it's not going to succeed. 
We have about 300 different people that attend here on a given month. And we have several area pastors and several elders and one on the kind of road to eldership. But how many ministers do we have at Covenant Church? Should be several hundred. Everyone who's filled with the Spirit of God is a minister. A minister of reconciliation filled with spiritual gifts commissioned by Jesus himself with the promise that I'm going to be with you. Now you go and make disciples. And in its uniqueness, God has given us all different roles and all different gifts and sometimes only reveals part of any message to any one of us. And if we don't come together in leadership and in community, we don't get the full picture. Does God ever speak to you this way? He only downloads like like part of it to me. And I'm like, man, Lord, I don't even know what that means. Just a little glimpse of maybe this dream that he wants us to do. And I start talking with Jason about it or some of my other friends about it. And we start praying through it. God, what do you have for us? And the vision starts to really come together because God's downloaded a little different part of the vision in their heart, a little different part of the vision in that heart. And when these things come together, we can see more clearly what God's doing. This is what interdependence is. To use a sports analogy, he gave some of us balls and some bats and some gloves and some bases and some cleats. And no one plays ball unless we come together. Or an illustration of a bike that I've used before. Some of the wheels and the seats and the chain and the brakes and the bike doesn't roll properly. Or sometimes at all if each part doesn't do its part properly. That's why it's interdependent. One selfish, stubborn, lazy part will affect the mission and picture of the gospel to the watching world. (coughs) Paul uses here this picture of a body. Some toes and the neck and the arms and the head and all necessary, he would go on to say, for proper function and destiny. And God has designed you. He's uniquely wired you and called you to play a part in the redemptive history of the world. Isn't that incredible? Maybe your calling is in spiritual leadership or roles as pastors or teachers or shepherds or prophets. Using your gift to equip the body. Maybe he's given you and some of you in here are my prayer warriors. And that is a gift that you can persevere in prayer. There's about four or five of you in this room that if something crazy goes down in my life or someone I care deeply about, you're my first text. I want, I want you to join me in prayer for this thing. Others of you, God's called you to serve in an official role, maybe as a deacon, using your gifting to, or using your gifting to love on our kids or in first impressions or cargo. However, Our greatest ministry calling is not just for us alone. It's to be used as we're built one on another for the purpose of strengthening the temple, strengthening the church, and reaching the lost. And here's the sadness that that exists in most churches. Because unity within diversity takes a lot of work. Most people have just congregated at churches that have similar giftings. All the baseballs attend one church and all the bats attend another one. All the gloves, another, and no one plays ball. Friends, your gifting is not the point. Your revelation from God is not the point. It really isn't. Your role is not the point. Maintaining unity, if you'd go on to read the rest of the book, really is the point. 
that we would be literal hands and feet of Jesus, that we would be the building erected in the center of town that would express the love of Jesus to the world. We're building. It says that we would be a dwelling place, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The church is this dwelling place, a place where God lives. It's never to be an empty house or a museum with no one living or interacting inside. The church is to be both the living place of God and of his people. Again, this is not an actual building. We don't even own an actual building or an actual office. All we got to our name is a couple dilapidated trailers out here that both have leaks in them. It's not what we own. It's when we do life together, when we're walking by the power of the Spirit, when we're forgiving one another and loving each other and depending on one another and letting ourselves be authentic and real and saying, man, I have a need or that hurt my feelings or would you come alongside me or I need more time. Could, could you come sit with me or the ministry of presence when we do these things together? That's when we're the church. This gathering on Sunday morning or a sticker on the back of your car or where you place your tithe doesn't, doesn't make you part of the church. It's, it's as every part is fit together, it says here. That's when the church becomes this beautiful expression of the heart of Jesus. And when we're fighting and when we're debating lesser things, it's this aroma, this disgusting aroma to the world. It's not the love of Jesus. We're the dwelling place, it says here, the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God, if you study the history of revivals, God doesn't move amongst a person. He moves amongst a people. As a people get together and pray for God to intervene, as a people get desperate enough to go to him in prayer, as a people get together and sacrifice and honor one another above each other, above our own selves, as we do those things, the Spirit of God, the wind of God begins to blow. And he makes himself known among a people to the degree that we work together for his purposes and love one another deeply. Isn't it crazy that this is what Jesus says? The watching lost world is going to know you follow me, not because of your preaching, not because of your worship, not because of your buildings, not because of your evangelism, not because of your spiritual gifts, not because of any of those things. They're going to know that you are my bride by the way you love one another. Church, we have got to wake up. We've got to love one another deeply. And if you've ever loved someone, it takes great risk. It comes with great cost. The very heart of Jesus is expressed to the world through the church. That means the church at its best gives the world a taste of what it's like to walk with Jesus, to be loved by Jesus. As the psalmist says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We're a dwelling place. And then we're a temple growing into a holy temple. I love, too, it uses this word growing, this idea of maturation, this, this process to this, already but not yet. 
I'm a child of God. I've been saved. And I'm in the process of sanctification. That's the Christianese word of, of growing into the likeness of Jesus. I love that there's a process to this, one step at a time, the process of maturing in the Christian faith. Again, this isn't entirely just individual. It's in the context of community that happens, that you, you're able to be encouraged and to encourage others, that you're able to receive rebuke and rebuke others, that you're able to be loved and to extend love to others, that you're, you require forgiveness and you're able to extend forgiveness and others are honoring you and you are honoring them. This happens in this community as we're being built together, that we're growing into this holy temple, this, this edifice that the world could see. 1 Peter 2 says it this way in verse 5, you are living stones being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. Friends, take a deep breath. We're all growing in this. We've all got room to grow. Some are in that awkward junior high stage where everything's kind of coming together and you're you're a little overconfident and what you shouldn't be overconfident in a little arrogant because you just discovered your gifts or you're really struggling with your identity. Some are further down the road, but they're walking through their midlife crisis with Jesus. Others are overwhelmed and some angry. We're just a spiritual family, maturing. And we've got to give grace to each other. And we've got to forgive each other. And we've got to have hard conversations with each other. The worst thing for me to hear as a pastor, it is the worst thing. For someone to be offended or hurt and leaving our church and on their way out, they call me for coffee or they send me a text message and they say, you know what, pastor, we're just not connected anymore. Dude, let somebody know. I can't read your mail, man. If you feel disconnected, let somebody know. And that's not even all on the leadership of our church. Call somebody else in the church. Hey, I feel disconnected. Could we have coffee? Could we meet every other week? Could we have Zoom together? Could we sit six feet apart on the back of somebody's porch so we don't get COVID everywhere? Could, can we do something so that we can pour into each other's lives? Because if I'm real honest and vulnerable in this morning, I'm feeling a little disconnected. I'm feeling a little scared. I feel, I feel a little nervous in, in this whole situation. I just need, I need someone to come alongside me. That's what the church does. Or that someone would be offended and say, you know what? Well, I came in when the deacons were out there and they were greeting everybody by fist bumps. And I just, I just, I just don't believe in fist bumps. And he's, I'm, a, I'm a handshake guy. And you gave me a fist bump and that was a diss. And I'm, you know, I'm so offended. And Dude, people leave for those reasons. They get offended and then a spirit of offense is lodged in like a splinter in someone's hand. And if they don't deal with that spirit of offense, it just gets infected and it wells up. And then you, Satan gets involved. A stronghold is developed. And if you're not careful, that eventually leads to a chokehold. We're growing into this holy temple. I want you to take out your bricks. 
The danger in a message like this is that we soon forget it. Maybe we remember something about, yeah, I remember that anniversary. It was something about Jesus and God and a temple or something like that, something like that. Luke said he got snot everywhere. I remember that part. Never shaking his hand again. But that won't take us any further than we've gone before as a church or individually into the depths of the things that God has for us in the next 10. And so I just, man, what's a, I was just thinking, what's a way that we could remember this? And I thought about these weird little bricks. Did you see them back there? They're on little pallets. How cute is that? I mean, that's cute. <laughs> I think I got a picture. There we go. And I want you to take this and I want you to put it somewhere. And I, and I want the, every time you see the little brick, I want it to remind you of something. I gave some to some of our staff earlier. I think I have a picture of uh, uh, where they put it. Go to the next slide. Yeah, there you go. Reynolds is uh, up there by the, by the manly Jeep and then uh, Robin's um, by the diaper changing station. She, she texted me. This is where I spend most of my time these days. <laughs> Word, right? So I want you to take this and think about it. You might tie a string around it and hang it somewhere, but put it in place. And, and as you look at it, I wanted to remind you of these things. And these are the three quick things. If you're taking notes, you can just jot these down. These are going to be super quick. One, that you have an incredible role to play. You have an incredible role to play in building God's kingdom. No one sits the sidelines in the kingdom of God. There's no such thing as 20% doing 80% of the work or however that works. There's, just no, there's no such thing. You have an incredible role to play. That's what he would say in Ephesians, that you are God's workmanship created unto good works. There are good works that God has created you for. There are, there are dark places only you can light up, only you. He's, God has specifically equipped you with everything you need. You have an incredible role to play. Two, that you are growing into a temple. God still has work to do in you, man. He's got so much work to do in me. Every time I just think I've made it, he just allows something to happen that just brings me so far down. Oh, God still, still has work to do. little song we used to sing as kids, he's still working on me. And friends, if you'll yield to him, he'll continue to work on you. He'll expose the weak parts. He'll, he'll shave off a little here and sand a little here. And he might have to get the chisel out. And you might not like the place in the wall that you're at. You're like, I don't want to be over here by the bathrooms. I want to be a more significant place. God has an incredible role. You're growing into this holy temple And the last one is you have to adapt your life to Jesus. Your usefulness comes as you adapt your life to Jesus. Look at verse 20. You know, the cornerstone was this major part of the building process and everything fit into it. Verse 20, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. 
It's in him, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The cornerstone was this major stone that had been set down. It had to be so large to support the superstructure, so accurate because the walls were all conformed to the angle of that stone. And every other block or every other brick of the entire building would fit into the cornerstone. So the cornerstone was the thing that framed everything, aligned everything to which everything else was adapted. The cornerstone was the support and the unifier and the connector and the strength giver. It was everything. And Paul reminds us that that's Jesus. There is no house, no building, no temple, no church without Jesus. If Jesus is not alive and active, the people gathered there might as well shut the doors. They meet in vain. In church, if we're not careful, this will happen to us. You can drive up and down the road this morning on a Sunday morning and see huge buildings that used to be vibrant churches that are empty because they quit yielding to Jesus. They quit adapting their life to the cornerstone. The presence of Jesus has been removed. So this morning we celebrate the gospel at work in our lives. How he's taken broken and sinful people, broken vessels to use the word of the prophet, and he's filled us with this beautiful gospel. He's recreated us, and he's created this new humanity. And he's molding us into the image of Jesus, transforming us. And in the secular soul of our society, the beautiful fruit of the kingdom of God is beginning to appear. A handful of people meeting in a maintenance shed near downtown Bossier has blossomed into a church. This planted churches and sent out missionaries and started missional communities and literally seen the gospel taken to one of the darkest places on the globe. God has made his mercy and grace known to you in profound ways. So on our 10-year anniversary, we look back and we're filled with gratitude of all God's done. We pause and give thanks. And then we lift up our heart with anticipation, believing that he's going to answer the very prayer that Paul prayed of the Ephesian church. And I want to close by praying this, and then we're going to sing. Jason's going to come up and lead us to communion. I didn't wear a watch today, so I have no idea where we're at on time. So, you know, we're just winging it. Ephesians 3 and verse 14. Maybe just where you're at, you'd close your eyes. You just hear this prayer of Paul read over you. We've done this before. I think this is so powerful in my own heart. Paul prays. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of God and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him 
who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God, we pray this would be true in our own lives, in our own church. Lord, that you would do far more than we could think or imagine. And that far more might not look at anything like what we've got planned. Might be the work of the soul or the heart or cultivation of hard soil. You might be calling some of our teenagers or young adults in this room into full-time vocational ministry and others you've just planted the seed in their heart to be missionaries and to go overseas or to go across the street. Lord, this is something you're doing, and Lord, we want to yield to you. Lord, this is your church. I pray today, as many of us are gathered, even some watching from home, Lord, for those who feel outside that they're not part of your family, they've never stepped across the line of faith, that today would be the day. And if that's you, I encourage you, today's the day of salvation. Be no greater joy than to help you take that step today. The Bible says that the angels in heaven are on the edge, peering over, just waiting to celebrate for one more that's come home. Lord, if any of us have sin that's keeping us from the fullness of you and us, I pray that that conviction, Lord, make us miserable with the conviction of sin. Break our hearts. May we go to you in repentance. Others, maybe there's a difficult call ahead of us and we've been trying to push it away. Yet you're being so clear. I pray we would take a step of faith today. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I'll be in the back if you'd like to pray with someone. We're going to sing here in just a minute. You do what God's laid upon your heart to do.